Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We're a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people who are far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. So glad you could be here with us today. We're in week two of a four-week message series called You in Five Years. This message series was originally written by Levi Lusco, Fresh Life Church. And uh, last week I opened up the series, and this week you're going to hear from Levi himself. I know you won't be disappointed. It's a fantastic and encouraging message that will help you get started with the change that you want to see as you transform your life now, over the next five years, and into eternity. So buckle up and enjoy. The series we're in is called You in Five Years, and we're just asking the simple question, who will we be five years from now if we continue our present course, and who do we want to be five years from now? Those are the two questions. Where is our right now momentum taking us, and do we like that destination? Because now's the time to get off the train if we don't like where it's going. Who will you be in 2023, and who do you want to be by the time the next half decade is over? And we're giving some thought to that now instead of the usual New Year's resolution, 12 months. That's not enough time to do what we want to do. We're asking, what do I want to accomplish 60 months from now that 12 months will, I will be only unfinished? I'll only be partially there. We're picking something bigger. We're going a little bit deeper. The title of this message, if you like to scribble stuff down while I, while I talk to you, is In the Absence of a Crisis. In the Absence of a Crisis. In 1 Kings 19, we find one of three passages we're going to consider together, and it's about the man Elisha. Elisha, who would eventually become a prophet, because Elijah who was the prophet. He was the mightiest of the miracle-working prophets. No big deal. That's what he's been called. Elijah, this this, this fiery figure who, alongside Moses, really represents the office of prophet. Um, You have in... in, 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 in Elijah, this, uh, this, this, this hard-to-fill set of shoes. But God told Elijah in advance who was going to replace him. And he said, it's going to be Elisha. Now, it was a confusing thing for God to do that because their names sound so similar. And you had to go pick him. It couldn't be Billy. No, it had to be Elisha. And Elijah's like, really? That's, people are going to think I'm him and he's me and they'll be all confused forever. And God's like, it's not about you. Get over yourself. And he's like, fine. And so... Uh, what we're going to see is him going to seek out Elisha so he can let him know that he's going to be a part of the team and one day be, be a prophet. So he, this Elijah, departed from there, verse 19, and found Elisha. You're probably wondering who his dad is. Oh, luckily, son of Shaphat. See? <laughs> you're wondering, like, I don't, I, can't, I don't feel comfortable studying him if I can't know who his dad is. So the text was like, he's the son of Shaphat. And Elisha, when he got found, was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. Now, you didn't respond with a gasp. You didn't, you didn't seem like blown away. That, I don't see any of your hair going back, but you should have. Because we just found out he is enormously wealthy. Enormously wealthy. You see, uh, an oxen in that day would be the equivalent of like an expensive John Deere tractor or a costly combine, or, you know, I don't know, I'm running out of farming equipment, a really souped up F-150 Raptor edition, or whatever, right? Like, wow, 12 pairs of these? That means he had 24 of these expensive, fancy pieces of farming equipment. 
Now, how vast do your land holdings have to be to necessitate 24 of them? You know, to have one would be a big deal in that day, and he's got, he's got a lot. And so that means that Shafat Farms was the place to be, right? <laughs> Shafat Farming Incorporated. Shafat and Son, uh, um, as, it, as it were. And Elisha is obviously the Bruce Wayne of this whole uh, affair, of, of, of Shaphat Enterprises. And Elisha's going to you know, be in charge one day, and that's, that's a lot. That's a big deal. It's a huge responsibility. It's a, it's a big calling. And, and many of you will be called to be leaders in, in industry, in business, and to be successful and to, to, to produce wealth, not just for yourselves as an end, but as a beginning to bless many people and do a great, uh, great deal of good. And, and whether it's farming or, or banking or being an architect, many of you will you know, ha- have it upon you to, to be like Shaphat. And some of you, uh, even now, the seeds are going to be sown so that the oak tree can come out of the acorn of this series. Five years from now, you could be in a completely different place when it comes to your vocation, when it comes to your career, when it comes to your work and the wealth you can produce and the good that you can do. And you could be the head, not the tail. How great would it be to own and not rent? How, how great would it be to, to be the lender and not the one who's borrowing? I mean, it just could be a completely different paradigm for you. You could be like Shafat. Come on, get your Shafat on. 24, dream for 24 tractors. That's, that's, the, that's, that's who, who, I'm speaking. Someone's like, that's my word. I was just thinking 24 tractors is where I want to be in, in five years. Then Elijah passed by him. The text continues. We're only one verse in, guys. Passed by him, and look at this, threw his mantle on him. That's weird, and I need to act it out. Because Elijah walked for days from where he met with God, seeking out Elisha. We have no idea whether he's ever met the guy before, they know each other, to Elisha. Elijah, larger than life. He's chiseled in stone on Mount Rushmore. I mean, he's, he's the man. He's the mightiest of the miracle-working prophets. This guy was so bad, one time he said, it's not going to rain until I say it will. With attitude, even. I mean, it's just like, uh, he, I get it, the prophecy needed to happen, but he said it with sass and with style. I, I like this guy. Um, and so Elisha's just plowing, just another, another day, just plowing, getting his heifer on, and, and, uh, and, uh, and, and all of a sudden, Elijah just appears out of nowhere with a crazy look in his eye, as, as he often had. And, uh, and, and as he approached him, Elijah starts taking off his jacket super slowly. And Elijah's like, that's strange. And Elijah runs up behind him and throws his jacket over Elisha's shoulders and walks away. <laughs> okay. So, so now Elisha, who's plowing behind his oxen, he's like, thank you. I wasn't cold, but you, know, you have to understand. It was a symbolic gesture. Uh, essentially, he handed him a lightsaber and said, let's go to the Dagobah system. This was, an, uh, an, this was an unpaid internship, let's be clear, that he was offering him, but it was, it was the chance to, to be under his authority. It is, but we, I'm going I'm to eventually, one day, if you follow me and learn from me, be my disciple and, 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 and be my pupil, um, you, you, you too could one day uh, be a part of the Jedi. Uh, that's, that's what he, he, he gave him a crack at here. And Elisha knew full well what was, what was being offered to him. And that's why the text says, verse 20, he left the oxen and ran after Elijah. And, and he would have, of course, handed his coke cloak back. He realizes he doesn't get it yet, right? That was just a ceremony. That was symbolism. And he said, please let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. 
So he, 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 he read it. He knew what was happening. Please let me kiss my mom and dad, and then let's do this thing. You, you realize what he's walking away from, right? He's walking away from Shaphat Enterprises. He's walking away from Wayne Manor. This is kissing the life he knew, the life he loved, the future that was before him goodbye. To follow Elijah, whose life was impressive. I'll give you that. But it was treacherous, as almost all lives that are greatly used by God can be. Elijah, yeah, he called down fire from heaven. We love to think about that. But let's not forget, between it's not going to rain till I say it will and calling fire down from heaven, there were years lived in hardship. Where at one point he was hanging out by a brook, true story, bear grillsing it, right? And he was fed by ravens. Is that like a fancy new food delivery service like Postmates or Uber Eats or Blue Apron? No, it was just ravens. It was just raven delivery service. Twice a day they showed up and brought food to him. I'm sure the first day he was like, what in the world? Does that bird have a Capri Sun? What on earth? Right? And, but eventually, I bet he got cocky. You know, the, the bird's bringing him a, a ding-dong or whatever, and it, I bet the bird's dropping it from 30, 40 feet in the air. Hey, see you at five, Bill, right? The bird's name was Bill. And um, this is the name. He probably was resorting to naming the bird. That was his only source of companionship. It was just Wilson, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just absolutely crazy. And then he, he goes from there, oh, probably to a hotel. Actually, no. God said, I want you to go stay with a widow in Zarephath which was in the territory of the people who he had offended and the God that he had insulted. There in Zarephath, Baal was worshipped. I want you to go live in Zarephath with a widow. When he meets her, she's so emaciated. She looks like she's about to starve to death. And she, in fact, tells him, I'm actually planning on dying later. I'm going to eat one last meal and it's over. He's like, awesome, first make me some pancakes. Like, and he ends up staying with her through the entire famine. Now, Elisha knows full well that, that that's what he's embracing. A life where God's going to use him dramatically, but hardship and difficulty and opposition and, and, and absolutely just not knowing from day to day what, what is even going to happen, okay? And that's what he just accepted here, on the spot. Elijah responds and says, go back again for what have I done to you? In other words, yeah, kiss her, but just make sure you think twice on what you're doing here before you cut once. Make sure you count the cost before you deny yourself pick up your cross, and choose to follow me in the words of and the language of the New Testament to us. Make sure you understand what you're getting into here. Make sure you understand that you're, you're embracing sacrifice. You're embracing a life where you're not in control once you choose to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord. Make sure you understand that full well. You, you see, because a lot of people don't do that. And they, they, they think, I, I'm basically just getting a genie and a lamp in God. And they embrace him saying, yeah, use me, use me, only to turn their back three months later when they feel used. And it's like, what, what's the matter? You got an answer to your own prayer. And, and that's what is happening here. Make sure you understand what's happening. Verse 21, Elisha turned back from him and obviously he kissed his mom. You always got to kiss your mama. And then he took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and, a, and he chose to follow Elijah, and he became his servant. 
in answer to Elijah's question, do you really mean it? Do you understand what, what's really happening here? He turned around and killed these animals and made a bonfire and ate uh, what he once, just a moment before, was driving on that represented his life. Pretty strong. So he follows Elijah. What does he do? Well, the text told us he became his servant. He became his servant. Get this. 18 years passes. 18 long years go by. Long enough to be born and graduate high school. And we get one detail. One detail of that 18-year-long period where he is Elijah's servant. You, You ready for it? He poured water on the hands of Elijah. <laughs> Waiting for the next verse? No, that's, that's it. That's it. That's all we get for 18 years as, as Elijah's servant. He poured water on the hands of Elijah. His function was that of the one who provided the hand sanitizer. After the meet and greet, where Elijah shook all the hands, he would come over and Elisha would, that was his life, 18 years, 18 years, Purex, 18 years. Seems Elijah was a bit of a germaphobe, right? And so he would just come over, Elisha would, and that, all right, and back to the fanny pack it went, it was zipped up, and on they went to the next assignment. That was his only job that we know of, 18 years of his He could have been somebody. He was somebody. How many times during those 18 years did he think back to how life was on Shaphat Farms and cringe at the notion that he fought 18 years of obscurity, 18 years as a servant, 18 years, and all he did was we we, we hear of him pouring water. Uh, We don't hear of a sermon. There's no miracle. He just merely was in a role in the background, supporting the ministry that made what Elijah did possible. That's the second movement to the story. Finally, uh, the details start to flow a little bit as Elijah's life was nearing its conclusion. You see, God told Elijah in advance, you're about to go to heaven. You're about to be done here on this earth. And he let Elisha know it's, it's, it's about to end. It's all, it's all uh, coming to a conclusion here. And they began walking to a solitary place where he was going to go to heaven. And they had to cross a river first. As they were, they were traveling, they came to a body of water. And Elijah stopped at the river's edge. Elisha, probably 18 years in, knew better than to ask any questions. You know, he just assumed if Elijah stopped, there was a good reason to it. Early on, probably in the 18 years, he probably would be like, here's my suggestion. We ford the river. We do this. We could, you know, we could climb over a tall tree and then jump from the other. And uh, I'm sure as as time went on, the the more he just, you know, learned to just speak when spoken to. And he was asked a good question, come up with the best answer he could, ask a lot of questions, but not not run his mouth a lot. And um, I'm sure that uh, that wisdom uh, paid off as when they arrived at the edge of the river, Elijah looked at it, took his jacket off, the mantle that he had put on Elisha, and smacked the edge of the river with his jacket. This is just the Bible. I'm just reading scripture to you guys, right? You're looking at me cross-eyed and religious. I'm just telling you, this is the Bible, right? You're like, the Bible's so boring. Have you ever read this thing? He hits the river with his jacket, and the jacket divides in half. 
That is precisely what happens. And then it says in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9, for the third movement of the story, and so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? That's nice. Hey, you've been a good servant these 18 years. Anything I can do before you before, you, before I die? And uh, Elisha said, please, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. I love that request. I love that request, and I hope that's what's in your spirit. I hope as you think of the great things that God has done in other people's lives and in the world and in your life, I hope your request facing the future is, God, do twice as much in the coming days. I hope that's what you're praying over your kids. I hope that's what you're praying over your grandkids. I hope you're saying, God, you've done great things before. I hope as you think about our church and all that's come before us, I hope you're saying, God, a double portion in the coming days. I want to see you do even more. And far from being offended by that. That's God's heart all along. He's like, finally, there's some faith there. He wants to do exceedingly and abundantly more than you could ever ask or think or imagine. The problem with praying small prayers is that you might just get what you asked for instead of what God wanted you to have all along. So Elijah considers what Elisha asked for. I mean, he is the mightiest of the miracle-working prophets. We know in his entire life that, that are recorded, he performed 14 different miracles. And what Elisha's asking for, Elijah's like, okay, hmm. I mean, look at his response. He says, you have asked a hard thing. 14 times 2, we have to carry the 1. 28 miracles. You've asked a hard thing. Okay, here you go. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Nothing's ever simple with this guy, is it? No. He's just being mystic to be weird, I think, at this point, playing with him. In a minute, I'm going to heaven. And if you see when it happens, you know from that moment, Elisha doesn't blink one single time, right? Uh, This guy's wily coyote. He's not vanishing into the bushes and dying on my watch, right? He's thinking that he might like be blinking while Elijah expires. But, but God had something much weirder in store for Elijah than dying like an ordinary person. Oh, no, there would be no dying for him. Because as the text continues, it says, Then it happened, as they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire, as it does, and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Of course he did. Of course he did. That's that's just that's how one goes to heaven. I mean, no, I actually requested. I, I have an official request that that's how I get to heaven too. I, God hasn't answered definitively. I'm just like you know what? You could die in your sleep. I want to go on a fiery chariot in a whirlwind. That's so there was there was approximately. We know Elijah was just messing with him because how could one miss that? Like you you can't really miss something like that, right? The world something about the whirlwind and the the horses and the chariot and the fact that the chariots and horses are on fire. In fuego to cielo. Okay, so this is a, this is a dramatically interesting day that you can't. You can't even make this stuff up. Some people are like, the Bible's made up. The Bible is way too weird to be made up. Nobody, nobody would make up stuff this dramatic, right? And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore him into two pieces. Why? As, out of respect 
out of grief to show honor that he loved Elijah and would miss him until his own day came to go to heaven, probably not as spectacularly. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him. I need you to imagine this. He's watching the whirlwind go by and the horses shoot off into the sky. It was Air Horse One that... (laughs) Things I do for you. Okay. And all of a sudden, out of the whirlwind comes, what? Elijah's jacket? (laughs) 18 years a slave. 18 years a slave. Woo! 18 years... No, no, I'm joking. He didn't sing that song. He was sad. But look at this. This is really funny to me. He took up the mantle that had fallen from him, and he went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. He, dev- he hit it with the mantle. Look at what happened. He took it up. He struck the water and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, it was divided this way and that. And Elisha, the prophet, crossed over. Come on, somebody. There's, there's so much in this. All right. So, so listen, listen, listen to me. This story has three movements, and I believe this, this story has much to speak to our lives as we seek to get to where we want to be in the next five years. W- what do you mean? Well, I called this message in the absence of crisis, in the absence of a crisis. Why? Because a crisis is an event that, if you think about it, proves we are all capable of change. Right. Right. That's right. I, could, I could never change. I could never do that. Well, if you had to... You'll find a way. If you had to, right? Why, why do moms pick up cars? They had to. They, they had to. Their baby. Their baby. They had to. If you had to, what could you do? I can't save. I just see every time I try to, what if you had to come up with a ransom? I'm reading this book by an FBI negotiator. He's talking about the different situations where families came up with money. Why? They had to. What could you do if you had to do it? I, can't, I could never fast. I get so hungry. I had a pastor one time tell me, I said, do you guys ever fast as a church? I'm just trying to figure out how we as a church are going to do it. He goes, you know, I don't really, I don't really like, no, no, we don't really do that at our church. So why not? He goes, I get hungry. I said, that's the point, I think. I said, as far as I can tell, I'm not an expert. I didn't go to seminary like you did, but I think that's the idea. He goes, well, I'm just not good at it. I said, no one's good at it. Gandhi only. Other than Gandhi, all of us get hungry. And that's the idea. I'm not really good at it. If you had to, if your car broke down in the woods and you were stranded for weeks, people deal with it. They do things. They, it, it just, when you have to, when you have, you're, you're capable of change. But how do we change in the absence of a crisis? I think we have to come to a place where we can generate an internal crisis even when we don't have the luxury of an external one. Tony Robbins put it this way. He said, change happens when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. 
Change hurts. And so that's why we don't like it. Because fasting's hard. And so is savings. And so is picking up a car, right? And so do, picking up anything heavy. And we could do it if there was a crisis. But how do we generate the crisis? Because I don't think that staging external crises is the way to go, right? I get someone to hurt my child at unplanned intervals, and I quickly pick something up. That's my weightlifting regimen. That's, that is not realistic moving forward. But if you can generate an internal crisis because you think about the pain of staying where you are as opposed to whatever pain it's going to be that, that, that's going to take to get to where you want to go. And I see in this text, in these passages, three different movements that will help us. First, it's going to take drastic action. Drastic action to get to where we want to be. Drastic action. Is Elisha not demonstrating drastic action when he chooses to light on fire the yoke and eat with his friends his F1?